Good morning. There's a lot of energy in this room that's wonderful. We have some folks that are ready to leave us, lead us in worship. Before that, I want to say a word of welcome to all of you who are visiting with us, especially if you are at Calvary and visiting. We are asking that you take a moment, look at the pew back in front of you, look, find a card like this that says Calvary Baptist Church. We want you to know where you are. And if you will fill that out and put it in the offering plate later, we would like to be able to be in touch with you so we can know how to best minister to your needs and answer your questions. And if you have questions, if you have prayer, prayer requests, we would appreciate those being put on these pieces of paper so that we can work together for the glory of God once we leave this place this morning. There's a little different morning for us. One thing is we have these wonderful children who are going to start our worship for us. The other thing is that we have two staff members that are not with us. Our pastor and Randall Bradley are in Dallas this morning. Uh, Brenda was taken by a helicopter yesterday to Dallas Hospital to have a special procedure done. There was some bleeding internally that they are going to be able to uh, help with that. And she is in surgery as we speak, so you will want to be in prayer about that. The plan is for me to call Mary Alice at the end of the service and let her talk to you. Hopefully, she will have some more current information by then. However, they have said the surgery may last between two and four hours, so uh, at least we will have a word from our pastor, which will encourage us. And, and we look forward to hearing from our new associate pastor in her absence this morning. So, John, we'll be praying for you, too. Let's worship together. Learn new songs that pertain to a theme, and you heard us a few weeks ago sing about champions of faith. This song in the curriculum this year is really a movement song, and it's really intended to have music and rhythm and those kinds of skills that we work on every week. But the first week we sang this song, I told the kids when we got through, I needed that message. And in light of what Phil has just shared with us and all kinds of things that none of us know about, we all need the message of this song. So we thought you could sing with us. So it's not us singing for you, it's us singing together. So here's the message of the song. It's very simple. On a day like this, on a day like this, on a day like this, oh, I need the Lord to help me. Right? We do need that, don't we? So the kids are going to sing it for you first, and there's one little place where there's movement, and pay attention to that because you're going to get to do that with us in a second. So I'm going to let you sit this time, then we're going to stand. Okay, Mandy. Sing it with us and stand, please. On a day, stomp, stomp. So now let me tell you about the motions. 
You start, one of the kids figured this out. Miss Sherry, it starts at the bottom and goes up, so that helps. So the first action is stomp, stomp. The next one is pat, pat on your thighs. The next one is clap, clap. <laughs> Snap, no, sorry, tap, tap. Do I have it right, guys? Tap, tap. Snap, snap. Woo, woo. Okay, the kids know it beautifully. They're going to lead you. I want to hear you more than them. Okay, Mandy.
to what you have to say. You know our needs before they are spoken. You are trustworthy. You are all-powerful. You are fully able. You are Lord over every situation, no matter how difficult it may seem. Let us seek your guidance as we decide to, how to deal with our messes and the messy world we live in. Keep our feet from stumbling and our mind from wandering into distractions that could steal precious time and energy from the most important things you have designed for us. Thank you for today. Give us strength and power to lean on you and let you be God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, 
from the book of Jeremiah. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah, you that enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings and let me dwell with you in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your doings, if you truly act justly one with another, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, and the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own hurt, then I will dwell with you in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your ancestors forever and ever. Here you are, trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal? murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known. And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are safe, only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? You know I too am watching, says the Lord. A reading from the book of Mark. Then they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling and those who were buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching and saying, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And when the chief priests and the scribes heard it, they kept looking for a way to kill him. 
for they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was spellbound by his teaching. And when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. This, this is, is the, the word of the Lord.
Buenos días. Bienvenidos a los Estados Unidos. About two years ago, Risher, my wife, and I were living in El Paso, Texas, and we were active in our Anglican church when a friend from our church asked if we wanted to help the startup of a refugee ministry. In early 2017, individuals seeking refuge from violence and extreme poverty voluntarily turned themselves into the U.S. Immigration Service at the Mexican border with El Paso to apply for asylum. The number of refugees had grown so numerous that the Catholic Diocese of El Paso, which had been the first responders, could no longer feed and house the individuals in its available shelters. These refugees needed a place to stay while coordinating travel to their family members who lived in places in the United States where they would then await their asylum hearing. All of these individuals had legally requested political asylum on the basis that they or their children would be killed or forced into gangs in their home countries. Living and doing ministry on the border for many years, Risher and I already had compassion for the impoverished people living in Mexico and for aliens and immigrants in the US. However, we had doubts that a few volunteers could house, feed, bathe, clothe, and minister to 40 adults and children who did not speak English. As two well-trained lawyers, we never went to an important negotiation or trial without being fully prepared for as many contingencies as we could imagine. But now, we only had about a week to get ready for the refugees. It quickly became apparent that if we were going to be involved in this ministry, it was going to be way outside our comfort zone and way outside our past experience. We could tell it was going to be messy, but we had no idea how messy. When the first immigration bus arrived two hours early and 40 exhausted, cold, hungry, and emotionally traumatized refugees exited from the bus, Bob and I were only, we made up half of the four adults there to greet them. We tried our best not to look too shocked when we saw that two of the children had raging chickenpox, and several others in the group were suffering from dysentery and stomach ailments. Small crying babies arrived with no diapers, no formula, and no medicine. Since we had only one large room where everyone had to sleep on mattresses about a foot apart, these illnesses were a real challenge. Although it was a chilly January, most of the families had only light clothing on their backs. They were coatless, they had inadequate shoes, since they primarily came from the much warmer climates of Central and South America. 
Their belts and their shoelaces had been taken from them when they were detained, making it especially difficult for the boys and men to keep their pants up and to keep their shoes on as they walked. Sadly, thick ankle bracelets, monitors, had been clamped on their ankles. So many of them had to cut off their one pair of pants in order to shower. Because I am pretty fluent in Spanish and Risher can communicate in very basic Spanish, we thought language would be the least of our worries. We did not anticipate that many of the Guatemalans only spoke indigenous tongues, not Spanish. The Brazilians who showed up only spoke Portuguese, and we had later a Russian woman and her daughter who of course only spoke Russian. All of the messiness required us to stay in a constant place of reliance on God and his strength and guidance, and most of all, on his unconditional love for all of his people. We had to reach out to a whole cadre of church volunteers. The teenagers set up beds and bedding. Some of our small groups prepared hot meals, and the older women of the church made hundreds of sandwiches and burritos with, that we put into backpacks that we gave the refugees as they departed to travel across the U.S. to be reunited with their families. Other volunteers washed dirty sheets and towels. After scrambling to provide shoes, coats, clothes, and underwear for every age and body type, from newborn to adults, we learned that First Baptist Church, another downtown church nearby, already had a large clothing ministry and they would share with us. Soon, three downtown churches were coming together to meet the refugee crisis with God's love. In short, God made his order out of the messiness. And we learned that although we were in way over our heads, God was never in over his head. Bob and I got to, got to witness God's miraculous orchestration of his people, imperfectly serving as his hands and feet to the most precious in his sight. Today, we are not still receiving refugees since most are being detained on the Mexican side of the border, but we continue to pray for their health and safety. Thank you. Amen.
Will the children come join me at the front for the children's message? Good morning, friends. It's so good to see all of your smiling faces this morning. Is everybody doing good? Yes. Yes, I love all your bright colors, so pretty. Well, last week we talked about how Jesus healed a blind man in a way that was kind of messy. Does anybody remember what he did? job. He spit on the ground and made mud and put it in the blind man's eyes. And could the blind man see after that? Yes. Correct. Great job. And he praised Jesus. Well, today we're talking about another mess that Jesus made. Deirdre and Jada just read the scripture for us from the book of Mark that tells us about this messy situation. Does anybody remember how Jesus made a mess and why? Yes, yeah, he was mad that they were selling things, that they weren't supposed to be doing that in the temple, so he flipped the tables over because they were collecting money, right? (laughs) (laughs) The temple was supposed to be a place where people came to worship God, but Jesus said they had made it into a hiding place for robbers. Jesus was angry because this is where people were supposed to come and worship his father, God. And when they were stealing from others, do you think that made God happy? Yeah, probably very sad. How do you feel when people steal or do unkind things? Yeah, sad, mad. You probably want them to stop. Yeah, mad. When, well, when we see that unkind things are happening, what do you think we should do? Should we not say anything because we're afraid to make a mess? No. But should we speak up and say something or do something? Yeah. You are correct. We should say something when something's not right. Though it probably won't look like flipping tables over, so don't get any ideas. But when we see injustice in the world, we should take action. And when we are the ones who have done unkind things to other people that make God sad, first we can stop doing those things, and then we can ask for God's forgiveness and help to clean up the messes we've made. Let's pray. God, give us courage to speak up when we see things happening that make you sad. Help us to be kind to others and to use our voices to praise you, even if it looks messy. Thank you for loving us and for being here with us today. Please be with the Bradleys and with Pastor Mary Alice and especially with Miss Brenda and bring her healing. We love you, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen.
Before I begin this morning, I want to acknowledge that as we have already said, I'm up here because Mary Alice is in Dallas uh, with the Bradleys. Um, when Mary Alice called last night and, and kind of explained what was going on, um, just texted several times this morning, we know that Brenda is, as Phil said, currently in surgery. And so I just want to bring them into this space with us this morning as we worship. I want to invite you to join me in holding them up in prayer as a community. And God, we lift up the Bradleys to you this morning. Lord, we lift up the doctors who are working with Brenda. We lift up, we lift up Randall and Isaac and Hannah God, as they sit and wait, we lift up Mary Alice, both friend and pastor in this moment. And God, we pray that you would surround them all with your peace. God, we pray that you would know their need in this moment. And we pray, Lord, that they would know your presence in the midst of their need. We pray that your hand would be on each one who is involved. God, be with us this morning. Lord, as we read together from the scripture, Lord, may you impress it upon our hearts and may it bear fruit in our lives. 
It's in your son's holy name we pray. Amen. I want to start this morning with a poem by Irish uh, philosopher and poet uh, John O'Donohue. In these times, when anger is turned into anxiety and someone has stolen the horizons and mountains, our small emperors on parade never expect our indifference to disturb their nakedness. They keep their heads down and their eyes gleam with reflection from the aluminum economic ground. The media wraps everything in cellophane of sound and the ghost surface of the virtual overlays the breathing earth. The industry of distraction makes us forget that we live in a universe. We have become converts to the religion of stress and its deity of progress and the blessing that we may have courage to turn aside from it all and to come kneel down before the poor and to discover what we must do, how to turn our anxiety back into anger, how to find our way home. I have two working titles for this sermon, which is always a bad sign. The first, based upon the language of this poem, is the alchemy of anxiety. The second, based in part on our text this morning, is Jesus and that friggin' fig tree. (laughs) We live in an anxiety-ridden world. Throughout it, realities both large and small drive the anxiety in us. On the large scale, climate change, economic disparity, racism, classism, violence, and at home, our relationships, unfaithful spouses, disloyal friends, the brokenness that each of us ourselves bring to the world, self-medication, our fear, our disdain, our indifference. Storytellers have long talked about the idea of the pebble in the shoe. And the pebble in the shoe is that thing that makes you uncomfortable. It's not necessarily painful enough to deal with. It's just enough to make you annoyed, to make you anxious. And depending on your disposition, it eventually drives you to one If you're one type of person, take off that shoe and try to shake out that rock whether or not it will fall. Or two, if you're like myself, far too many of us, you just learn to hop on one foot and let it go. Very often, the discomfort that we experience, the anxiety that is produced in us, comes out on the people who are not necessarily the problem, but just the people who are closest to us our children, our spouses, our parents, and for Jesus, a fig tree. See, the Gospel of Mark is written kind of like a volcanic explosion. Tension builds over time until Jesus enters Jerusalem and the eruption begins. And that eruption begins with Jesus' disruption of the economic system 
at the temple. It will not culminate with his death and burial, but with his resurrection. And yet we feel those first tremors here in our text this morning. See, Jesus spends about the first eight and a half chapters of the book of Mark wandering around northern Israel and Galilee and the surrounding areas. And then eventually, he begins to make his way into Jerusalem, or at least toward Jerusalem around chapter eight and a half. But it takes him about three more chapters to actually arrive in Jerusalem. And once he gets there, he comes in amid celebration and fanfare, people bearing palm branches, celebrating his arrival. And the text says that he goes into the temple and he looks around. If you read ahead, you know what's coming. It's almost like Jesus goes in to quote-unquote case the joint. Just wants to see the lay of the land. But it's late at night. The moment is not right. And so he goes back to Bethany that evening. The next morning, he gets up. He and the disciples begin to make that journey back into Jerusalem from Bethany. And the text says that along the way, verse 12, Jesus was hungry. And forgive me an anachronism, but I think here the word might better be hangry because in the midst of his hunger, Jesus sees in the distance a fig tree that's in leaf. So leaves are sprouting on this fig tree, and he went to see whether perhaps he would find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And so he said to the fig tree, mind you, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard it. Now, maybe you don't think it's fair in this text that I think Jesus is taking out his hangriness on a poor, defenseless fig tree. Maybe there's something more to this anger. Maybe there's something more to this story. It may sound a little harsh and kind of crazy, but here's the thing. The text says it wasn't even the season for figs. And yet here is Jesus rebuking this fig tree for not growing fruit before it's actually supposed to grow fruit. Jesus curses it. It's at this point where if I'm a disciple, I start to make kind of a a mental list of Jewish counselors in the area, just in case Jesus needs a check-in. The other thing that I want to note about this part of the text is that word there that's used for season. In the Greek, that word is kairos, probably a word you've heard about in sermons before. It's one that preachers like to throw around, but there are a couple of different kinds of time in Greek, chronos and kairos. Chronos is that that day-by-day time, today, tomorrow, the next day, the next week, the next month. Kairos is a qualitative kind of time. It's the notion of in due time, at the proper time, or in this case, when something is actually in season. And this entire text kind of reeks of that idea of qualitative time, of due time. We tend to think of that kind of time as long time, patient time. Until the moment when the time comes, 
Suddenly everything is ready and the thing we waited for takes place. And in that moment, things move quickly. Everything seems to snap into place. Jesus hungered for the fruit of the fig tree and refused to wait any longer for it to produce the fruit that he expected. And so he rebuked it. The text then moves us into our primary text for this morning as Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem. And note the fact that there's really no introduction here to what happens next. The text just says in good mark and fashion, Then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling, those who were buying in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money chambers, changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Now, there are two major things happening in this text, and, and that refers to the first and First, there is action. Jesus walks into the middle of the temple and begins throwing everything around. It kind of sounds like fun. But let's be honest. If we'd been sitting there watching this, I know me, I'm socially awkward already, so when other people are socially awkward, it really is hard on me. And I'd have been sitting in the corner going, what is he doing? Why is he doing it? And yet he goes and he does it. I, I tried to imagine a little bit when Sharon Dowd preached last week and talked about the idea of mixing it up. And she sort of imagined a lonely middle schooler sitting there and one of our middle schoolers going over and sitting with them. I, I tried to think about what Jesus would do in that cafeteria. And it's almost like he walks into a cafeteria full of lonely people and in response to the loneliness, he slaps the Frito chili pie out of the lunch lady's hand and drives everyone out of the cafeteria. So the first part is action, disruptive action, bordering on violent action, change flying everywhere, animals going everywhere, people being literally herded out of the room. And what I love about Mark is he pairs this sort of chaotic action with the idea that while he's doing it, Jesus seems to be teaching. Verse 17, he was teaching and saying, is it not written, my house should be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. So imagine this for a moment. Jesus is tossing over tables, herding animals, and as he's doing it, I mean, have you ever seen a mom who's trying to, like, get a hold of their child while talking? This is how I imagine Jesus doing this. He's kind of like through gritted teeth, speaking these sermon in the middle of it, trying to drive everyone out. So there's action, and there's teaching in the midst of it. And this teaching is really rooted in two texts in the Old Testament. The first comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter, 50, uh, excuse me, chapter 56. And it's a beautiful text. The writer is returned to this image of what Jerusalem could be, or at least should be like. Verse 3, do not let the foreigner join to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. 
and foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath and who do not profane it and hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in the house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer. So on the one hand, you have a vision of what the temple could and should be a house of prayer for all people, a place where all people can come together and share together in the worship of and prayer to the God of Israel. The second part of Jesus' teaching, as we heard earlier, comes from Jeremiah chapter 7. And I love this little sermon in Jeremiah chapter 7 because the prophet is supposed to, is told to go stand at the gate of the temple. And I imagine someone standing at the doors of First Baptist Waco or of Columbus Avenue or of Calvary Baptist Church and preaching a sermon and saying, don't go in there thinking anything good is going to happen just because this is your church because you are messed up for this reason and that reason, and you have fallen short in this way and that way. I can't imagine that it would be a comfortable place for the prophet to be. And I wonder what kind of response the prophet would get. And yet this is the scene in Jeremiah, where Jeremiah calls those gathered a den of robbers. And so Jesus takes this vision of the temple as a house of prayer for all people, and he pairs it with this condemnation from the book of Jeremiah, calling the temple a den for robbers. So we have here a vision of what could be and the reality of what is. We don't know exactly why Jesus took this action. Maybe it was the economic injustice that was occurring in the temple. Maybe people were ripping people off as they bought animals. That's a very common idea. Some people think it has to do with the fact that it's taking place in the Gentile court and that Jesus is trying to create space for the Gentiles. But maybe, maybe it's bigger than both. Maybe it's not just about economic injustice. Maybe it's not just about racial justice. It's a moment, a clarifying, disruptive kind of moment that's about a vision of what the temple was intended to be versus what the temple had become. Jesus' inner anxiety had turned to anger. His internal discomfort had turned to action. I'll be honest with you. I have internal discomfort when I read this text. I'm a peacemaker. For those of you who like the Enneagram, I'm a nine. (laughs) For those of you who don't, ignore that. But I like to keep the peace. And so when I see Jesus throwing around stuff and hurting people around, it makes me uncomfortable. And part of that discomfort comes from the fact that in my efforts to try to make peace, there's anger in me too, and sometimes that anger boils forth. And I say words that I don't really mean. I talk to my wife and to my children in ways that I shouldn't. I want to be really honest with you about that this morning because I think all of us have that capacity for anger. All of us have that capacity for rage. 
And the truth is we're just not very good at using it well. Because there are moments for anger. And I think Jesus in this moment is illustrating what a better kind of anger might look like. Here Jesus has encountered what is happening in the temple. And rather than just sitting with the anxiety that produces in him, rather than just letting it go, rather than just walking on by, he stops and he takes action. He disrupts the systems that are there. And listen, if you think disrupting systems of power is an easy game, note the fact that in this text, Mark is very clear that it is this action of cleansing the temple that causes the chief priests and the scribes and the elders to decide not only that Jesus needs to be arrested, but also that he needs to be killed. If you think people will respond well when you speak out against economic systems that are unjust, racial systems that are unjust, things that are taking place in your own home, in your own life that aren't right. Note the fact that it can be dangerous. Look at the way John MacArthur is treating Beth Moore right now, trying to bully her into silence. Think about the way we Baptists try to bully churches who don't think the same things that we think. A group of people in a room who couldn't even together decide on the tenets of the Apostles' Creed. And yet we break ties with one another because we don't believe the same thing about one particular issue. Being angry can get you into lots of trouble. The question may be, how do you know when your anger is justified? Because sometimes in those moments we see what someone else is doing and we think there is this need to stand up, to speak out. And yet sometimes in doing so we're actually oppressing others. So how do you know if you're being prophetic or a jerk? The artist in me wants to use another word than jerk, but I'm not going to. I think it's a hard line to walk. I think the truth is it's hard to know. But I think this is the part where we have to begin to think about what tables need to be turned over in our own lives. We are very quick to flip the tables on the mega scale. We are very quick to flip them on the people around us. We tend to be much more reticent to allow Christ to flip the tables in our own hearts. So I think we resolve into some questions. If you want to know whether being prophetic or a jerk, ask the question, am I sitting on the side of the one who is oppressed? Am I weeping along the side of the one who is brokenhearted? Am I standing along the side of those who are seeking to stand up even as others push them down? Will you lie down in the ashes alongside the brokenhearted? Is your church a house of prayer for all peoples? 
is it the den of robbers? Will you rage at the misogyny and the words of the powerful even while you recognize the misogyny that lies in your own heart? Will you fight against systems of injustice while trying to recognize those places where you yourself are unjust? I think in the alchemy of anxiety, God turns those pebbles in our shoes, that discomfort that we feel at the things we see in the world around us, and he calls us forward to action. God calls us to disrupt. God calls us to make a mess, even when we don't know where the mess is going to go. Do we have the courage to act? Do we have the courage to see where injustice intersects with our own lives? At the very end of that poem by John O'Donohue, he finishes with this phrase, to discover what we must do, how to turn anxiety back into anger, how to find our way home. As Jesus returns from Jerusalem that day, he and the disciples are walking along, and lo and behold, the fig tree that he rebuked has died. And the disciples are amazed by this, and Jesus tells them that whatever they ask for in prayer, they will receive. And then he ends on a note about forgiveness. And this is maybe the most difficult part how we recognize injustice, how do we encourage, name it, how do we recognize it as it intersects with our own lives. How do we find that place in us for forgiveness, for what is unforgivable? not because someone else tells us to, not because it is appropriate, but because somehow forgiveness takes root in our own hearts and bears fruit in its due season. God, I pray that you would be with us. I pray that you would be with this church. God, that you would place a vision of what you would have this place be on each and every one of our hearts. God, that you would give us the courage and the strength to disrupt whatever system is at work, not only in the world around us, but in this very place, in our very lives. Call us to action. It's in your Son's holy name we pray. Amen. This morning... If you, in the midst of anger, see Jesus being angry and it's connected with you for the very first time, if you'd like to know Jesus and more about him, if you'd like to join this church family, as we join together and ask these difficult questions, as we try to understand more about the pathway of Jesus and follow him on it, our ministers will be at the back. We would love to talk with you and pray with you.
Will you pray with me? God, we know that you are a God of justice, and we know that we live in a world of messiness, a world where systems of injustice bring harm to so many. We see injustice in our lives, in our city, in our country, and in our world. Everywhere we turn, we see people who are oppressed and hurting. For too long, your people have shied away from your call for us to mess things up when we see situations of injustice. Convict us of our inaction and forgive us for the times that we have failed to step in by word and deed. We ask that you give us the courage to stand up to injustice, no matter the resistance we face. Remind us that we are not alone, for your spirit allows us to live in boldness. May we never tire of speaking the inconvenient truth and standing with our brothers and sisters, both near and afar. May your spirit embolden us to use our voices and resources to mess things up and bring about healing and change in our world. We ask these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Okay, so a few announcements, um, and then Phil will take over for a minute so Mary Alice can talk to us through the phone. Um, but we have a church-wide lunch today, so whether you're a member at Calvary or if you're a guest with us this morning, we'd love to have you join us downstairs in the fellowship hall. Um, just follow people. There are doors this way and doors out that way to the left, so um, follow people downstairs. Um, we are having hamburgers and hot dogs, so hope you'll join us. Um, also, youth and their families are helping with cleanup for that this afternoon. So stick around for a couple minutes and help clean up, youth people. Thanks. Um, this next weekend is our Calvary Community Yard Sale and Fall Festival. Um, very exciting that we're also doing a fall festival in addition to the yard sale. Um, we will have set up Thursday, sometimes on Friday, and then um, the yard sale Saturday morning and fall festival Saturday morning as well. There is a Google Doc with that information, and there is a hard copy sign-up sheet in the Welcome Center, and John Hunt is kind of the point person. Um, candy can be donated this week through John, um, so bring that to him. Okay, you ready? We hope this is going to work. So, Mary Alice, are you with us? I am, yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Hi, everyone. Um, we are just so grateful for your messages and prayers. And, um, it just means so much to the Bradley family that people are praying for them all over the world. Um, I do think I have some good news to share. Brenda just got out of surgery. Um, we haven't been able to talk to the doctor yet, but the nurse has just told us that they were able to block two arteries from the pancreas that have been bleeding. Um, and so this is good news. They told us that the surgery could last anywhere from two to four hours, depending on what they found when they got in there. And so the fact that it was only two, they're um, hopeful that that means they found a good solution. Um, need to monitor here here uh, for a good 24 hours to see if any bleeding continues, uh, but they're hopeful that they were able to stop it. Um, we feel like the doctors here are giving her the, the best care possible, um, and the Bradley family just feels overwhelmed by the outpouring of love. Um, it, it's a holy thing, so know how much we love, how much I love the Calvary family. I miss being with you all today, um, but your spirit is absolutely so much. No, our love is coming all day and tomorrow and all the rest of the days ahead. Thank okay. you, Mary Alice. Thanks so much. Okay, so now let's just keep the Bradleys in prayer all day today um, and just be aware and alert as more updates come. Um, and now hear this spoken benediction. Friends, may the God who calls you from this place journey with you as you go. May God delight in you with joy, bringing unimagined graces. Walk with you in darkness, shining light along your way. May God be close to you in pain, giving strength for every moment, and comfort you in fear, granting courage to be brave. May God's love surround you. May Christ's mercy astound you. And may the Spirit abound in you, so that you will live in the fullness of the God who is with you always. Amen. <laughs>